Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Wednesday edition of Hockey Central at noon on the air here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm Peter Klein. He is Logan Gordon in the Iconic Studio powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Another practice day for the Calgary Flames today as they get ready for tomorrow's matchup with the Montreal Canadiens. To talk about practice and everything Calgary Flames, let's chat with our Flames Insider. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. You know, the system's uh, correct, but the style we need to fix or something along the lines of that. And um, I think what that means is we just got to do everything a bit better. We have to do everything a bit faster and uh, we have to be more dialed in with the stuff that we're doing right now. We're not. We're not that far off, but we have to we have to get going, and it starts Thursday. That was Matthew Kachuk yesterday after practice, as uh, the Calgary Flames getting used to to life with Daryl Sutter and Lou. We kind of chatted about that clip a little bit um, yesterday, but uh, I do think it is kind of one of the the stories of the first few games here. Anyway, it is just seeing. I mean, what adjustments are made with Daryl Sutter, but also can he get the most out of this group and that consistency word that we've been talking about all year? Well, is there anything more important for this team than the group of players showing us that they can stay with what they do longer? You look at a lot of games, Peter, this year, including the last two, which I truly felt were a bit of a microcosm of the whole entire season. You know, this team has shown, you know, not only just in periods, but in some games that they can really, when they're committed to how they have to play, that it can produce good results. What hasn't happened is even in the framework of a lot of games, those swings can be quite massive from one period to the next. And, you know, as the general manager, and I keep referring to one of Brad's comments that he made, you know, the day of Daryl's hiring was too many situations where you go from A to D and there's not a lot of, you know, B or B minus in between. And until you get to that point and until you're truly, you know, we can talk all we want about, you know, tactics and systems and, you know, all of that. For me, it's just, you know, your group has to be committed to doing what you do better. And that's what we're all looking forward to seeing. And, you know, as I've said for the last couple of days, there is no doubt in my mind that this particular individual who it was fascinating to me, had a lot of things to say, Daryl, and he's going to chat shortly, but, you know, there's there's no, if you will, gray in the sense that Daryl already has a pretty good idea, and Peter didn't even, he say it himself, I heard it out of his mouth, that it wasn't a systems thing. It wasn't necessarily a tactics thing. Now, is he going to, is he going to make some subtle changes? And But to me, the whole thing now is that I don't think it was necessarily about the plan. It's about you got to be committed to the plan and play it the right way. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned Brad for living there. And I think that this is a real true evaluation of what you have with this team over these last 30 games. And obviously the main goal is get into the postseason. That was the goal from day one with this group. And I don't believe that has changed. Um, you, you certainly don't hire Daryl Sutter and then just think, ah, playoffs, whatever. Um, that, that, that is certainly the goal, but I, I think it is also a bit of an audition for the, the next 30 games and then hopefully some playoff games to see, okay, with a coach who can get that consistency out of this group, what do we actually have? I think it's an interesting audition over the next little bit for some of these guys. Peter, I'm glad you phrased it in that way. I really am. Because whether it was the bubble or whether it's this highly magnified, um, hot world of the Canadian division where every night feels like it could be your last and you're really in an all hockey all the time, breathe it, eat it, live it mentality. Now some would say, and that is fine. I'm more than open to that because at a certain point by next season, we're going to get, you know, back to more types of normal schedule, all of it. And I think as, you know, humans, we're going to get a chance to get back to more normal. But, you know, I remember having this conversation with our boss leading into the bubble, and I don't feel any different now. If I really want to assess my group and understand who can do it when it's difficult and if you see value in that, isn't this season, Mr. Klein, in a sense, almost like an extended playoff? It sure feels that way to me. And even on the outside, you know, all the noise, all the expectations, the way games are broken down in terms of where the emotional response is gone you'd have a hard time telling me that that isn't the temperature because it's on high and it's because people are all in for all different reasons. So again, you know, maybe if I called, let's say 10 different general managers or 10 different scouts, you know, there might be some mix for sure. But at a certain point, if you want to evaluate where your group is, I say it all the time. Don't evaluate when it's easy. Evaluate when it's hard. So forget about, forget about we have to play the same teams all the time. Forget about what it used to be or what it might be. You will never convince me that right now this is all hockey and all in. And your ability to fight through it and all the noise I'm not telling you it's not difficult. It is difficult. I've seen it. I feel it. You experience it in a lot of different ways. So do you. So does everyone who has any kind of involvement with the team. But as a dear friend of mine would say, it's time to assess and it's time to get some results. Mm -hmm. And just one more on this one before we move on, but I was listening to a show about the NFL draft uh, and they were talking about, uh, and I think it applies to this where uh, they were saying a lot of times and whether it's combine interviews or even at the pro level, we hear all I do is eat, breathe, uh, sleep and this sport. 
And it's like, okay, well now that's all you have to do. That's all you can do. So let's see who is handling these types of situations. And right. not to say if someone is struggling, that means they all of a sudden hate the sport. But this is this is the chance to prove that all you do is eat, breathe, sleep, and play this game. And I, I think it is kind of showing some of that with some of these players. Well, and... And let's understand this, and even when it relates to Daryl and how he goes about his business, and, you know, I, this, is not, this is not foreign to anyone, but my, one of the things that, you know, I feel pretty strong on is this, and, and I'd say this about probably, and I don't pretend to know very much about a lot of other professions or other things, but twofold to what you just said. Um, and I'll use this analogy. When, when, when the evaluation comes up or what you study, there's, there's two, two things that I point to. Do you play hockey or are you a hockey player? And, there, and for me personally, there's a difference. And it doesn't mean that there's one way for everybody. But I, I felt this way about the bubble. I feel this way about the situation, understanding that, you know, the highs and lows are huge, Peter, and they're magnified. And you won't convince me of any different. But when you assess, you know, I think the more kind of people can tell you they're all in. And, and the other part is, depending on what you do and how you go about your craft, it doesn't have to be the same. But however you prepare yourself and get yourself ready, doesn't it boil down to the results that you get? Mm -hmm. And being all in matters. It does. Because if you're not all in, and guess what? Being all in can work the other way sometimes, too. When you're all in, you feel the highs and the lows more. I really believe that. So that can, that can work against certain players, too. But I always feel the guys that are, like, all in and dialed in and, like, truly care about the result, not just for them, but their team. The more of those guys you have and the more of those guys that set the standard for your group, now you can get somewhere. And I want to play this one from yesterday if we have it. And um, I'm always curious, as you know, about how people inside the game feel about the people that play the game and are there differences and, you know, are you dealing with a different generation and a different type of professional athlete? So a lot of things struck me from Daryl's availability, but what really stuck with me was, was this comment about, in a sense, understanding everybody's different players of today here's here's his thoughts uh i actually believe we don't have this clip um, oh too bad so uh apologies for that but maybe just a a brief uh summary yeah the, 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 yeah the, the the synopsis on that one was he talked about you know he called it special status and he talked about players arriving in the NHL sooner rather than later in the modern-day era. And, and then, 
you know, I'm paraphrasing, then talked about the challenge of that, and he said it, was, you know, you have to work with them, even though they're incredibly talented, but when people get to places in the highest level, there's a real balance between building the person and helping them become better people and allowing them to mature and grow as players. You know, when he pointed, he pointed in his time in L.A. to, you know, Tyler Toffoli and Drew Doughty and Tanner Pearson. So the overriding theme that stuck with me, Peter, is, you know, young guys get into this league faster than they ever have. And they're more talented in ways that I've never, like, I go to, I go to under 15 games the last few years. And I like, for me who loves it and has watched it my whole life, like I'm blown away by what people in this sport can do at all levels. But it's more to get to where you want to go than just your talent. It's, it's, it's about growing and maturing as a person and a player. And I, I, be, I believe when you get to places without some of the other experiences, the experience and the growing matters. And a lot of guys get here because of great talent but are they ready for everything that goes hand in hand? So, you know, I guess I wanted to talk about it and too bad that we didn't get to directly hear it out of Daryl's mouth, but, you know, I'm just, I'm such a big proponent of, you know, we want everybody to figure it out like right now. Well, it doesn't work that way. And the experience and the growth matters. So it was an interesting perspective for me. Yeah, I feel like you did a very good job of summing it up, though. Uh, as we uh, we chat with Peter Labardius here, our Flames insider on Sportsnet 960 The Fan, uh, another day of practice today for the Calgary Flames with a couple more attendees as Michael Backlund and Sam Bennett were back in attendance. Uh, so your lines for today, by the way, defensive pairings say the same. Um, but the forward group, Kachuk, Lindholm, Dubé, Gaudreau, Monaghan, Ritchie, Lucic, Backlund, Manjapani, and Bennett, Ryan, Levo. Uh, Lou, y- your takeaways from practice number two in version two of Daryl Sutter as the Calgary Flames coach. Well, should we start with the Lions and then talk about the practice? I guess we'll go that way. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with Sam coming back and being in the group that he's in, you know, we can focus there, but frankly, I think there's been so much focus on Sam and who he is and what he's all about. And, you know, I want to take a bit of a pause on that for now. But it is interesting for today to see Brett Ritchie in that spot. And again, when you play with Monaghan and Goudreau with some of the nuances that, you know, I, I think Daryl will really stress because it's what I've watched in his teams, you know, more of a, a North South rather than East West approach. So more direct, more, even more playing in pairs. But the one thing about playing with, you know, Sean and, and Johnny is you need somebody to retrieve and you, and, and Brett skates well, 
you know, even in the game in Edmonton on Friday, Peter, in, in about eight and a half, nine minutes, he had eight hits. Eight hits. So, you know, here's it, and he's 27. It's not like he's over the hill. You know, he played in 27 games with the Bruins last year, spent the rest of his time, you know, in the American League, you know, was a high pick going all the way back to the year 2011, played on the 2013 Canadian World Junior Team, which, by the way, you know, there there wasn't a lot of NHL going on, so that was a year for Canada where they could have all their best junior players. You know, so this guy shoots it well. Um, so to see him there and to see the combinations, you know, come Thursday, if that's the way that it goes, what I'm always interested in now more than ever and is your ice time. And, and ice time is dictated by how the game is played and, in a sense, you know, where you match up with the other opponent. So you look at Brett Ritchie, and I think, you know, there's definitely a capability of giving you, you know, probably 10 to 13 really good five-on-five minutes, especially as his... You know, remember, he's not unlike anybody else. He joined this team late, hadn't played for a long time. You know, it takes time. But he's played good hockey the last few games, for sure. So, you know, and when you think about him and his role and his ice time, well, he's not going to get necessarily power play time, right? So that's different. So what it will be interesting to me, you know, when you look at your lines and time and time on five on five, Will the like what kind of five on five ice time will that group get in comparison to the backland group? And what I think will be your number one minute five on five group, if things go well, is the Lindholm line. So, you know, interesting how certain people look at it. But in many ways, you know, whether they want it to be this way or not, for, you know, Sean and Johnny is a combo, and it's hard not to look at them together. And, again, you can focus on who's, you know, with them. And, and, and that happened today. That doesn't mean we're going to get that tomorrow either, by the way. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But what I'm interested in is those guys, in their own way, if you're going to help drive this team offensively, it's time. It's time. So I, I'm so interested to see how Daryl is is going to do what he talked about yesterday. And to make no bones about this, he described his strengths yesterday. And what did he say? his ability to deal and get the most out of individuals. And the other thing he talked about was how he runs a bench. So we're going to see, we're going to see, we're going to see that aspect of it and where, and it's going to take time, right? Like don't look at tomorrow. What I'm trying to say is don't look at tomorrow and go, well, this is what he thinks. No. Yeah. 
And even tomorrow, the game will dictate the situation and the ice time for people. You might get five power plays. You might get one. You might get two. But five on five, where this team needs to generate more on a regular basis, looking forward to seeing over a stretch of time the employment and who does what with it. Uh, Last one here with Lou as we continue on Hockey Central at noon, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We talked yesterday about um, kind of the the core group of players and and who Daryl would believe are kind of Daryl's guys and who would be in in his core. And there's one guy who's kind of stuck out in in your mind as someone who could kind of help in that process. Did Did you catch the clip? from the Ottawa comeback when Daryl talked about some of the young guys led the way in dragging us back into that game. Mm-hmm. Now, now Daryl is not because it's not what he's about. He's, he's not going to single out a lot of guys in public one way or another. It's not, you know, unless it's changed, I don't, I don't see that. So he didn't mention any names. But when I think about how the game was played on Sunday, well, let me ask you, off the top of your head, when you think about Sunday, was there one guy, especially in the third period, that might have jumped out for you? Well, uh, there's one guy who always jumps out to me, and that's Andrew Mangiapane and the the relentless play that he has in in trying to kind of jumpstart this team sometimes in the the, the puck retrieval. And basically, everything we always say we want this team to do, he does. So he is someone who jumps out to me. Was that who you had in mind? He's he's number two on the list. So you... Okay. I, I think the two guys he was referring to was the guy you talked about and number 29. Dylan Dubé. Mm. And Dubé, uh, I thought, had an outstanding third period. He had three goals and two assists and a three-game point streak. And I think he was as responsible for helping drive the bus with his line mates in that game against Ottawa as anyone. And this is going to be a strong statement, but um, I love this player and I think there's room to grow and mature. But, but I truly believe this is a guy that, as time goes on, he is going to be one of your most valuable commodities. I think he's on the verge of breaking out. And I believe in this player, his speed, his big game abilities, which started for me going back to his 16-year-old season with the Kelowna Rockets, two world championships, one NHL playoff. That resume is pretty good. And the other thing is, Peter, when you watch practice, you know who the three guys are on the ice at the end of every practice that you have to drag off? Valimaki, Andrew Mangiapane, and Dylan Dubé. Now, granted, they're all young, learning their way, and they're all hungry. But when I'm thinking about core pieces that I want to continue to develop and build around, those habits 
and big game abilities and speed and skill and tenacity. Ooh, that's a heck of a package for me. That is a heck of a package for me. And when, when I've talked, and you know I've talked about it quite a bit, about, in a sense, what I believe is going on here, and now maybe more than ever with a, a new, very important set of eyes, when I talk about building a core underneath the core, I don't look much farther than number 29 when it comes to important pieces. I really don't. And the, the intel I get, you know, from people that might even spend more time around the players or with the players, well, one of my buddies always says, the players know, they know this guy's good. And when he gets there, I think there's, this town's going to be pretty excited. I really do. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Lou, fun today. Let's, uh, we have finally a game day. It feels like forever with how the season's gone. Three days feels like a month. Uh, an important one True. tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Peter. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Lou is back here on Hockey Central at noon. We have him every day and every Friday. We have Lou's Mailbag. You still have time for this week, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Tune in Fridays at noon to see if yours is answered. If it is, you're walking away with a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. We will be selecting winners weekly up until the end of the regular season. Lou's Mailbag brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Relax and enjoy while Ruth's Chris makes the experience safe and comfortable for everyone. Book your table today go flames go what's it like playing against a daryl sutter coach team we find out from christopher steeg also with some real good stuff on the flames power play you're not going to want to miss it that's coming up next hockey central at noon on sportsnet 960 the fan Continue to get ready for the first game of the Daryl Sutter era version 2.0 as the Flames get set to take on Montreal tomorrow. Learning a bit more from practice today. We'll be breaking that down as things roll along uh, this afternoon. But thought this was a real good chat with the guys this morning with Chris Versteeg talking about a number of different things. There's some stuff at the end about the power play that's really, really good, but also a focus on how damn tough it is to play against Daryl Sutter coach teams. So let's hear that conversation now. Christopher Stieg joins us as he always does. Steger, good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Always good to have you, buddy. Uh, kind of want to go back to a week ago. It happened after a big win for the Flames. It's been up. It's been down. I don't need to tell you. You've been coming on the radio here and you've been watching for a long time. But it was big win, big loss, big win, big loss kind of a, a sequence of games. They get a big lopsided victory, but then post-game announced the coaching change, that Jeff Ward is out and Daryl Sutter is in. Uh, I guess walk us through when you heard that, A, the, the coaching change had happened, that, that Ward was fired, and B, that it was actually Daryl Sutter coming back to take over. Well, didn't we talk about a lot of this last week, the, the need they need to address? We didn't know if Jeff could go back in the ward and do a cultural change. So, I, I mean, I fell asleep 
after the game, my buddy or during, yeah, after my buddy's like, Hey, did you see what happened when I woke up in Calgary? I'm like, no, it was Daryl. I was like, wow. So we asked for a cultural reset, someone who's going to tell everyone where they stand. Well, there's no better guy than Daryl Sutter to tell you where you stand. I've played for Daryl and Brent. They will let you know directly where you stand. There's going to be more of, like we talked about, up pace, direct line. Some guys think they play in a direct line. You don't really know what playing in a direct line is until you play for Daryl. He's going to tell you where to go and how hard you need to go to get there. So there's going to be an understanding for some players of how to play Daryl Sutter type of hockey. It's going to be interesting to see how they cope with it. I've already, you know, we've already seen he's starting to see who can handle his practices early on. This isn't going to be a one practice thing. Anyone can go through practices in one practice with Daryl Sutter. This is going to be a month from now. Who's going to quit on him? And he's going to understand fast who it's going to be. So what Take was? A, yeah, go ahead, Dean. No, I was just going to say what was uh, what was your experience? You were in L.A. with him. It was a short amount of time, but it was near the end of his stay there. The cups had already uh, had already been won. Uh, were you uh, were you in the good books, or where were you with Daryl? Yeah, I, I got brought in at the trade deadline, and he basically told me you're going to be on the fourth line and you're going to play power play. So that was pretty much what I did when I was there. Uh, I understood it. I, I didn't question it just because he told me exactly where it was going to be. I thought, you know, and, and I personally thought I played better, that I should have got more ice time, but I didn't question it just because that's where he told me I was going to be. I tried to work harder to gain more trust, to go up higher in the lineup. It never happened, and I was fine with it just because of the the way there was no gray zone there. Take us back to the Western Conference Final in 2014. Kings, Blackhawks, I think you'd won three of the prior four Stanley Cups combined. There was more on the way for each of you. What was that series like, and what did you learn about Daryl as an opposing player in that series? Well, that was a war. That was a war, and it was much different times now. So I'm going to get to that in a second on a couple of questions I have. But each and every puck battle was contested. Every single shift, there was someone in your face, whether it be in between whistles, during whistles. Everyone finished their checks, especially on L.A. We were a little bit of a lighter team. We didn't play so much with the physicalness that they played with. But everything was contested, and you knew each shift was going to be whether you're up a goal or two or not. That's why there's so many momentum swings in the games. But that was an all-out war, and that was that was a hard, hard series to play in. Man, <laughs> like I'm looking over a five-year period, those two clubs won four of them. I mean, did it feel like whoever won that series was was getting a parade, or was it not quite yes. at that point feeling that way? A hundred percent. Whoever won that series, I know we talked about it, and I know talking to guys on L.A., both sides knew whoever won that series was winning the Stanley Cup. So I know New York had a good Stanley Cup finals that year against L.A., but whoever was winning, New York didn't have a chance against. Jeez, wow. It's interesting. And overtime in Game 7, just, hey? (laughs) Yeah, double overtime. Bananas. Oh, man. It's interesting with Daryl, it's, and it's long been said, he's one of those guys that you're going to know where you stand and he's no nonsense and he comes in and all of that. It, in a way, it kind of sells him a little bit short, doesn't it? Because he's not just a manipulator or I guess maybe he's the opposite of a, a manipulator. He's just you know straight up goods as to what it's going to take. But there's also, he's more of a strategist than maybe people give him credit for. Is that fair? He is very tactical. Is, is Rhett on the call today? Yeah, he's here. Correct. So I have a question for Rhett because for me, I think 
they need cultural reset. I think they need a little, little bit different of a tactical way to let them play faster. We talked about this last week. I don't need to go over it again. The one question I have is the way Daryl likes to defend. He likes isolated defending, meaning almost like a man-on-man. This team doesn't have the players, I believe, that can isolate guys one-on-one, separate them from the puck continuously, and move the puck again. The game's changed a bit in that sense from 2014 till now. The L.A. had huge players, Matt Green, Willie Mitchell, uh, Martinez wasn't a big guy, but he was strong. He can isolate guys, Drew Doughty. They were built to isolate you, separate you from the puck, and move it out. This team, I believe, might have to defend more of a, a zone, use two guys to come in, because I can't see you know a couple of the D-men taking a guy one-on-one, pinning them, and getting the puck going the other way. So I think that's going to be something that I, I'm, I'm just asking questions about. I don't know if Daryl's going to make adjustments to the lineup he has. Daryl's a super smart hockey guy. He understands what he has, so he's going to put us a, play, um, a system in place for them to to win. So I, I'm just interested to see how tactically he defends because I think I know what he's going to do. You know, whether it be slashing guys across to create speed, keeping the pace of play high, offensively, what certain guys are allowed to do, but defending, I just have that question, and I don't know what Rhett can kind of add on to that. I have I have that question in general with defenses. Period. Whether because I think that's an extremely difficult thing to do with today's speed, the the refs, the way they call things, just to isolate guys one on one. I it's I mean it's not old school. Stick through the legs, pin them for three seconds, and let them go. So it's a lot tougher to do that one on one. So I think that probably there's there will have to be a, a little bit different. But I think it's it's I don't know that it's because of Daryl's doing or choices or even the or the personnel for the Flames. I think it's just the way the game is that there has to be support by the centerman, no matter what. There's, the yeah. guy's got to be there to support you because just to say, okay, well, you're going to go in and pin him and take him off the puck. That's great, and that is the objective. But it's not just as – it's not – if he gets by you, you can't just hook him and haul him back towards you. So I, I, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's just the way the game is, and I don't know if Daryl's system will – and the players will dictate anything different. I mean – it's tougher for D to defend. It just is. Yeah, that, that that's pretty much the question I have. You're right. Mm-hmm. Again, Daryl had his team. He knew each player had each other's back in L.A., meaning if, if I somehow got around Matt Green or Willie Mitchell, which was very hard to do because in 2014, you were still allowed to slash across the hands. The cross-checking was high. There was no hooking like in 2004, 2005. But there was still high, high interference all over the ice, high box outs. That means any time I'd pass the puck from a corner, Willie Mitchell was coming into the corner with a stick cross check right up into my shoulders, and I couldn't go anywhere. So, again, these are things that have changed since 2014, 2012, and these are things that I'm going to just be interested to watch and see how they play their structure with inside that. So, yeah, you're right. They're going to need a little bit more of help from everyone, especially with the personnel the Flames have. Daryl's a smart guy. I go back to again. He tactically understands things. He's got a. It's a war plan going into every game. I mean, if you remember, Rhett, you sit there for 30 minutes in the pregame, 
uh, at 10:30 to 11, and you're going over every single detail of every single shift, of every single situation on the ice. So it's a war plan for Daryl. He knows what he wants to do going into every game. Does that surprise people when you tell them that? Like, I think his perception is very different than reality, especially when maybe you get to other parts of the league and they have painted him as some some uh, Western yokel guy riding a horse on his ranch. You don't win two Stanley Cups and you don't go to the Cup Finals with that Calgary team in 04, you know, 05. You don't, you don't do what he's done unless you have, you know, a tactical way to do it. You can't just tell guys to work hard, especially in the NHL. You need, you need a game plan. You need guys buying into your X's and O's. And you need to make in-game adjustments. That's the number one thing top coaches do that bottom ones don't do. It's in-game adjustments. It's not, we're doing something in the first period. Uh, let's change it up for the second period uh, and then go see what we can find on the, on, the, on the computer where we can press the pause button and make it all perfect. The best coaches know at the four-minute mark, five-minute mark, they don't like how they're forechecking. They're going to change it up. They don't like how they're defending. They don't like how they're exiting the zone off face-offs. They change it up on the fly in the game. The best coaches do it. The best ones I ever played with do it. And Daryl does that. He's in-game adjustment. That's different than in-period adjustment. Sorry, that's in, yeah, in-game. That's not in-between-period adjustments. Some coaches can't do that because they can't read the game at that level. Daryl can read the game like that. He has his tactics, and he's got his plan. So you don't win like him unless you have all those things come together. Yeah, that is one of the things I think we've talked about already is just seeing how over the course of a three-period game, who ice time, responsibilities. We saw a lot with Jeff Ward. He was very uh, he was very willing to juggle the lines and put lines into the blender, which which is okay. It it very seldom worked, but it was it was at least an attempt. So I don't know. Is it the you know the this definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and it not work and you still keep trying it i i am curious i wanted to, before we do let you go i want to ask you what you're seeing and i don't know how closely you've watched so it's maybe not a fair question for you but as a guy who did spend time in the power play what are you seeing with the flames power play specifically their their entries ottawa it seems like they went to work and as their that set of games against the senators went on they they couldn't even gain the zone they just stood there and waited we laughed the one night rasmus anderson found some open space and got to the got to the blue line and instead of getting in he threw the brakes on and then dumped it back to johnny for the for that bump back what are you seeing special teams wise specifically power play and why it's not working for calgary well, I, I went over this on Sportsnet, I think, two and a half weeks ago. There, there's in-zone I'm going to go through and entry. They're, they're just relying on Johnny to one man get it in every time and make his play, right? I'm, I, I want to bring it back to kind of when I was there. The idea was is to get it to me, I would draw attention, and right when the attention would come to me, I could give it to Johnny. He would have more time and space. I could come up with him with speed. It gives him another option. The one-man drop works. It works at times, especially for Connor McDavid. It works for Johnny too, but it just gives him less options when you're on the one man. I would like to see them bring back another guy, whether it's Elias Lindholm, most likely him because he's the guy who can do those passes. He's the guy who can make those plays and draw guys to him. But it, it just they never threw another look at it. It was just one man drop, Johnny go in, kick it out. No one's got speed. They're all standing still on the blue line. They, they would get flushed out, whether it be Ottawa's D or whoever they're playing against, 
Edmonton, and then they, they you just don't have speed. So it'd better be Monty or whoever on the blue line. They can't get in the zone with speed or Kachuk, and then it's just down the other way. Now when they're in zone, there's just not enough motion on the flank. Johnny likes to play his onside. That's fine. But when you're set up on your onside, it needs to be in motion. So Elias needs to be that guy on the other side. I know Kachuk likes to go up there a lot at the moment, but Elias needs to get that puck in motion and what he's doing is he's either attacking to shoot or he's drawing that forward over to move his stick to get it back to Rasmus or whoever's at the top, generally Rasmus, that's going to get it to Johnny to let to make the play. So you need to open up space on that side, and Johnny needs to get in more motion. There's just not enough motion on that onside uh, setup and a little too much stagnant play uh, and not enough also plays going down low to take it to the net. So I thought overall at the start of the season they were doing it well. It's way, it's fell off a lot, and it starts with the entries. It goes to end zone, but entries, again, they got to bring another guy back if they're going to go with the drop, give Johnny more options, come with more speed. Why? So why does he like playing his onside? I was I just going to so say weird. they have – Because everyone loves the, the, having their stick in the middle of the ice, right, Dean? Yeah, like they have Lindholm right shot on the right side. And whenever he gets that puck, he can get it off in a hurry, but it's got to come across his body, and then he's going back across. And just the other night, the one goal, it was Goudreau on his offside who tapped it into the empty net. And we saw that as well. The, was it in Win- – I'm trying to think. Was it Ottawa or no, Edmonton? Edmonton. Edmonton. When, Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, they set him up for the one-time shot, and he ripped it. Why, are the, why not swap those two guys? Because then at least you have a couple of one-time options. Well, I, I, I like the onside not every game. But I like the onside because the puck's actually on the outside of your body. So, again, it keeps the puck away from the the forward stick or the defender stick. It's an easier shot to get the puck to the net. That's the idea. So if you're on your onside, it can't be as much ticking it around up top. It's got to be Johnny could be in the corner. He passes it up to the D-man. The D-man's got to get across. He either passes it to Lindholm, who's on the blue line. Now he's attacking. So it's like a yo-yo. You know what I mean? You're coming up, you're coming down, you're attacking. You're coming up, you're coming down, you're passing it low, you're attacking. It's an attacking power play. They use that power play as a passive power play. It's tick, 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 and then maybe a Lindholm turns around and shoots. They didn't have Lindy moving his feet enough. Johnny's not moving his feet enough. You need to constantly be in motion when you're doing that onside power play. The offside power play is a stagnant power play. You're not moving your feet as much. It's more about making passes, one-timers, low plays um, as attacking the net or low plays out to the slot. So that's more of a stagnant shooting power play. Johnny's better on his onside, but he needs to be attacking. He needs the help from the offside, meaning Lindholm, attacking too to draw guys in. Now, if Johnny's on the onside, he has he doesn't have a good one-timer, so you need two guys up top willing to shoot, right? You need mm-hmm. two guys that are going to are going to hammer the puck. Rasmus is a righty, Lindy's a righty, Sean's the lefty in the middle. So that's that's not going to drag a guy out if you have a lefty in the middle. You technically want a righty in the middle. So I understand why they're doing it for their hands. I would like them also, again, Johnny could go to that side. They have so many guys with high-level skill that they can play all different pieces and parts of the power play, which you do see them try to do, and and I have no problem with that. You need to give them set plays and then let them use their creativity as well. But if you're going to do that onside power play, you need your feet coming up to the blue line and attacking. It, It can't be a stagnant. They're not getting their feet high enough and not enough attack. Well, good stuff, man. Uh, maybe they can get you. Can you get on a plane and come out for a few days? Maybe just uh, they'll get, put you on a per diem for a week or so, throw you up in a hotel, and maybe we can work on that uh, on the special teams because it has become 
like you say, just kind of ticking around. It's become very, very predictable where they, they're not seeing much of the inside, the middle of the ice at all, even on the power play. Yeah, well, they give me a big enough check, I'll come. All right, that's okay. We'll talk, we'll, we, we, we know some guys. We'll talk to them. Uh, have yourself a good week, man. Always uh, always great having you on. Take care, guys. You bet. Stig, more good stuff. Only every week. Only every week. And he provides that good stuff on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. Uh, some great stuff from Versteeg there. We're going to keep the hockey conversation going. This is Hockey Central at noon after all. Is it time to panic in Boston? We'll discuss that coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Putting a bow on Hockey Central at noon as we get ready for the big show here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. A quick look at things from the National Hockey League last night. There was a lot of attention on the Boston Bruins as Jake DeBrusque was a healthy scratch and Boston ends up falling to the New York Islanders. And my initial thought when seeing that is, okay, no big deal. The Islanders are a pretty good team and Boston just lost to a pretty good team. Uh, but Logo, as we bring you into the conversation from the Iconic Studio, powered by Iconic Electric and Control, Controls. We talked at the beginning of the season about how good this East division was going to be. And right now, Boston is just on the edge of the playoffs. They're sitting in fourth, one point up on Philadelphia for the final playoff spot in the East division. The Rangers getting Panarin back soon, it looks like. They are seven points out, so a bit of room to make up for sure. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it's time to panic out in Boston as they are getting very close to that playoff cutoff. Yeah, I don't know if it's if he it's panic for a veteran team like that. I mean, they're so like their record probably doesn't indicate that it's as as tight as it is. You think when you're thirteen, six and four on the year, you know, you're talking about a, a six fifty two winning percentage. For the most part, things have been pretty good, but now all of a sudden in this new division, you're probably talking about five playoff teams there when I think probably the beginning of the season I don't know that everyone had Pittsburgh coming on as much as they have. I think maybe we expected a bit of a downturn from them. But you start talking about Philly in there. The Islanders are leading the division. Washington still clearly in a contention window. You've got to be, you know, I think you've got to start to worry a bit if you're Boston because now all of a sudden you're really filling things up for a battle with Philly and Pittsburgh down to the end. And I think you, if you were Boston, you are probably expecting – to be a bit higher in the standings when you you took a look at things at the beginning of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And again, one of the issues is that you're playing all these very good teams every night. And when you're looking at trying to pick up some points in this division, it's against New Jersey and Buffalo and the devils have beat the, the Bruins. I believe it's three out of four times to start this season. So I don't think it's full on like, the Bruins shouldn't go into sell mode. I'm certainly not saying that, but I, I do think it's noteworthy that they are just right there. And also credit the Islanders, 11-0-2 at home to, to start this season. That is just... You see the Penguins Ill. home record too? Oh yeah, not bad at 11-2. Mm. I would say that's helping keep them afloat, Logo, just uh, just how I understand it. Well, and the things. top teams in that division... Uh, once you, you mentioned it and I started, I headed over to NHL.com and started looking through the standings. Look at the last 10 games for the three teams on top of that East division. 
Islanders have won six straight. They're eight one and one in their last ten. Capitals have won their last two. Seven two and one in their last ten. Penguins have won three straight. They're seven three and zero in their last ten. That's a murderer's row. Those top three teams are just on fire right now. And if you're Boston, you're three five and two. So you're you're well below five hundred. You've technically lost seven of your last ten, but you've picked up games and ha- you picked up points in half of your games. So you're you're not terrible. It's certainly not a good stretch, but the teams in front of you are flying right now, and you're just sort of treading water. That's not a great look. So, and especially when you you just mentioned those two home records. I mean, the Islanders. Uh, how about you lose one in regulation there, boys at home? Holy crap! Right. Yeah. That that's crazy. Um, and I think this is why the DeBrusque thing is so important for Boston. Is like obviously their top three point getters right now are Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak. Pasternak no. doing that in just sixteen games. Um, so you know, kind of impressive. After that, Charlie McAvoy, and then it just it drops right. Like you have Nick Ritchie, who is six points behind Pasternak, who again has played seven fewer games. Krejci doesn't have a goal yet this year, eleven points still. Uh, like Craig Smith, like no, they aren't getting the secondary scoring that they need there right now. That top line is going to get theirs. We know this. It is who is coming in behind them to, to help sort that out. I, I think Boston will be fine, but I, I do think it's very much noteworthy that the, the Bruins are in the spot they are in at this point. Games in hand on a couple of those teams too. Mm-hmm. No, for two, sure. Yes. Two on Philly or two on Pittsburgh and Washington, three on New York. So you're, you're okay in that sense, but you're, you're right up there with Philly, and it's kind of a, a five-team race for four spots. And I wouldn't have guessed Boston to be fighting at that four spot for sure. Yeah, I, I was not expecting that. Um, and I, I still I still think Pittsburgh has a bit of a drop-off in them. But like you said, they're playing some pretty good hockey right now. Uh, I'm Peter Klein, coming to you from my home studio today. Logan Gordon is in the Iconic studio, powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Community, it's Iconic. Contact them today at Iconic EC. We kick off the big show with some talk about the Calgary Flames practice as Daryl Sutter has a couple more toys to play with than he did at his first practice. How is he using them? We'll discuss that as the big show starts next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.